every Arizona homeowner's best friend, and it all has to do with you. Thanks for tuning in. It's Rosie on the house. Your weekend wake-up tradition. Inch by inch, row by row, gonna make this garden grow. Come on around back, Arizona. It is Saturday morning, 8 o'clock, the Outdoor Living Hour, our first of three weekly uh, hours that we broadcast here at Rosie on the House. And uh, our 8 o'clock hours are Outdoor Living Hour. And uh, you, if you're following along in the home maintenance calendar, you're expecting to hear about backyard livestock today. But we're actually a little shuffled off of uh, Christmas. It fell on the 25th, so it re it reshuffled our program a little bit. We'll be doing that next Saturday on the 29th. Today we are talking roses, and we've got Jay Harper in uh, the studio with us. Good morning, sir. Good morning. How are you? Oh, wonderful. Happy, Happy New, New Year. Year. Yeah, Happy New Year. Yeah. <laughs> Quiet and uh, peaceful, I hope. Hey, so far, so good. Good. Yeah. yeah, we're just keeping our head down, going to work every day, you know? <laughs> and we're talking roses today. We always yes, have we a topic of the week, and we've got a guest in with us, a uh, Justin. I'm sorry, not Justin. That's my son, though. That's really good. I'm impressed. <laughs> Brian Regeer, who is a rosarian. And I have to ask, what does it take to become a rosarian? Well, good morning. Yeah, being a rosarian is a passion for roses. Um, there's classes that we take. Uh, it's several hours worth of classes. Upon completion, you take a test and you become a certified rosarian with the American Rose Society. That was my question. Who does it? Because you've got like the arborist is through the ISA and you've got Master Gardener through the extension. So this is the... This is the American Rose Society. And the American Rose Society has underneath it regions and then obviously local chapters, uh, the Mesa and Scottsdale. There's different chapters within the area, but it's under the American Rose Society. And have you... How much do you are you involved in uh, in the Mesa? Is that what? Yeah, in the Mesa Rose Society, I'm quite quite involved. Um, right now, we're pruning roses. We have a large garden at the Mesa Community College, and we're pruning roses there right now. Uh, we're planning for an auction that's coming up. Uh, we have rose shows throughout the you know once or twice during the year that you can exhibit roses. So yeah, quite involved with that program. And I I hate to admit it, but I, honestly, I have never stopped by to look at the rose garden there, but I've known about it for years and it's supposed to be like 14,000 roses on That's the right. campus or something like that. That's right. It's, it's an amazing garden. It's a, it's a great place to go and, and see, especially, you know, the March, April, May timeframe, uh, when everything's in bloom, it's a, it's a beautiful garden to go out and see and take pictures. And can anyone just walk on the campus? And Anytime. Start yeah. It's browsing? right there on Southern Boulevard and you just walk right off the sidewalk and you're welcome to walk around the garden. They have many different ones, um, the Veterans Garden and different gardens that are available to walk all along Southern there. How many different varieties of roses? Oh, there's there must be hundreds. There's there's not only the, the tried and true roses that are there, but there's also the test gardens. So they have test gardens. So uh, if people hybridize roses, they will send them to different gardens throughout the country. They have gardens there with just test roses that haven't been actually introduced to the public. So you can see roses that have never been out in commerce and see those roses that they're testing. They test them two to three years before they actually prove that they're able to be uh, mass uh, sales. And the auction that's coming up, is that from the roses that are on, on the campus? Actually, the auction that's coming up, those roses come from all different places. We get them from nurseries that are local. Uh, we have a nursery out of Mississippi that has sent us uh, 16 roses. 
Uh, some miniature roses by David Bang, which are ty- uh, striped roses, which are amazing. If if you look at their website on, and K&M roses, they have striped roses. They're little ones. They have, might have black uh, with red stripes or orange with yellow stripes. They're all over, just all kinds of different ones, as well as some hybrid teas. And then local growers, if you see out on the 303 or different places, those growers have donated roses to us. So what's happening is they're harvesting the roses in the morning. I'm going and picking them up, putting them in pots, and you're having roses that are only been out of the ground for maybe a month, and they're in a pot and ready to take home. So that's that's a big part of the rose auction. And this is an in-person auction? It's a- it's, a, it's an online auction. We've, we did online. the in-person for a long time, and last year, because of COVID, we were forced to do the uh, online, which now we're able to attract a lot more people from around the valley. Instead of having to come to Mesa Community College and spend your afternoon um, bidding on roses, not knowing what you're going to take home, now you can sit at your computer or on your phone, find the roses that you want, and then if you win them or you win 20 of them or 30 of them, you just come pick them up from Mesa Community College. So it makes it a lot easier. I personally enjoyed it a lot more because I could watch and see when somebody was outbidding me and I could up that bid and up that bid and have fun with it. So it was a lot more fun to, to do at home. And the auction, the money goes to? The, the money's all tax deductible. It all goes to the Mesa Community College Rose Society, or Mesa East Valley Rose Society. But a lot of it goes to the garden there at Mesa Community College to keep it up, you know, with fertilizer and everything else that's required for those roses. And Jay, I, I don't know, but it, uh, how many years now that we've been talking about it, but what, what's the significance about having our rose conversation in January? Well, I think that's just when roses are most prominent because a, the, nurseries and garden centers and everybody gets their new shipment of roses in in usually December or January. Um, B, it's time to prune roses here, basically the month of January, maybe into the middle of February. Um, so it's it's just, that's just when they're a buzz. We're, we've got Christmas, you know, out of the way. Now we're starting a new year, new rose bushes, new varieties for the year, just new shipments. Traditionally, way, way back, roses were all sold, quote-unquote, bare root. So nurseries got a shipment of a bundle of dormant rose bushes. They had been dug out of the ground. All the soil had been washed off the roots. All the leaves had been stripped off. Then nurseries would cut that bundle open, do a finish pruning because a lot of the canes would be broken and Roots would be broken because they're mechanically dug uh, with a digger. So they would put their finishing touches on those roses. Then they would typically have built um, some what we would call now a raised planter bed, a raised vegetable garden, usually out of out of wood or lumber, a, you know, certain height, filled it full of sawdust or shavings, then taken those roses and dug a trench and he, what we called healed them in. So they just dug a trench, stuck these roses that they just repruned, put the shavings back around them, and then probably put some kind of colored sign or a name above that row and go on and on and on and on. Typically done alphabetically and then by classification. So all the hybrid teas alphabetically, all the grandifloras alphabetically, all the floribundas, so forth and so on. So that's how when I grew up, and then when somebody would come in and buy a rose bush and they would 
they would invariably pick the one in the back. <laughs> so you had to climb through all these thorns to get to the back one. You'd pull it out of the sawdust. Then typically they wouldn't like the roots on that one. <laughs> so you'd re- replant it, reheal it in, pick another one. Then you would take it, maybe let's just say they got three. They would pick three out that way. You would take them over. We kept a, a horse trough and we filled it full of water and uh, super thrive and ruining hormones. And, and we also put some uh, uh, streptomyosin, agromyosin in that and we would dunk as as they were picking their roses we'd throw them in this trough then when they were all done we'd take them and we had a, a table and we had big rolls of brown butcher paper and we also then in another trough would have a bunch of straw kind of soaking so it was wet we'd take those roses we'd put some wet straw down we'd put the roses on the wet straw put some more wet straw around them and then tie them up in the brown butcher paper and that's how they would pay for them, and then they'd go home and, and hopefully plant them right away <laughs> and not let them dry out. So that's, that's going back many, many years ago. Then it just got to the fact where people wouldn't, you know, they didn't always come in quick enough. The roses would start leafing out. They're in the sawdust bins, which means you got to pot them up because if you start pulling out roses out of these bins and they're leafed out, Typically, those are going to die back, and, and the rose would set back. So it what evolved, in essence, and, and as far as I know, I think Berridge is the only one that's still healing. And correct me if I'm wrong, Ryan, but I know they still bring some in, and they do a percentage of them healed in the sawdust that very same way. But they pot the majority of their roses immediately as soon as they came in. We bit the bullet. Years and years ago, and we finally just said, you know what? We're going to pot them all. If somebody wants us to pull one out and look at it, if it hasn't leafed out yet, we can do it out of a pot just as easy as we can out of the sawdust bed. And we quit, in effect, quit selling, quote, unquote, bare root roses um, a long time ago. Now, the a lot of the mass merchants and chain stores, they would, to avoid all that manhandling, and streamline things, they would get what we called a packaged rose. So it was still a dormant rose, but it it had already had the shavings or straw wrapped up and sealed in a package, and you'd go into the store and buy them off the shelf in a sealed package. You know, there's some drawbacks to there. You can't see the roots. A lot of times they dipped the canes in wax, which then as soon as it got hot, all that wax melted into the cane of the rose bush so forth and so on. So it wasn't the, it was very efficient, obviously uh, selling them the way most nurseries did in the, you know, let's say before about 1990 wasn't very efficient. But uh, that's, so that all happened in January. It had to happen when it was cold. We did the same thing with fruit trees. So the roses would come in, then the fruit trees would come in. And it's the same process with the fruit trees, or was back in those days. So that's a very long answer to why January we talk about roses. So Who knew there was so much to know about roses? We've got Jay Harper in studio and uh, Ryan Regeer, a rosarian, hobbyist, and one of the, uh, what, what, what would you call yourself, one of the key 
Well, what's a rose? You know, you, you wouldn't say gardener. I just say a, a, rose, a rose lover and rose take uh, rose care. Of one rose of the rose geeks. geeks. <laughs> okay, I'll take it. <laughs> of the famous rose uh, garden at the Mesa Community College. Talking Roses is beautiful Arizona Saturday morning, and you know, when I think desert, I don't often think of roses. You know, you think of creosotes, mesquites, Palo Verdes, saguaros. You know, how viable are roses for the for the desert environment? Well, I, I think it's the world's largest rose tree is in Tombstone. It was planted in 1885 um, and is, you know, obviously Amazing. still alive and yeah. blooming today. Yeah. Yeah, it's an enormous tree there uh, in Tombstone. It's it's definitely something worth taking the time down to go down there and see it. That's for sure. And you were saying during the break that Arizona is one of the big rose uh, industrial growers. Yeah, industrial might not be the right word, but uh, it's one of the premier rose growing areas in the country. Um, you know, the Phoenix area and Tyler, Texas are, are the big ones. If you go out on the 303 or now some of the farms have moved down south closer to Casa Grande, uh, that's where a lot of the commercial roses are grown uh, before they're shipped or harvested, like Jay was talking earlier, harvested and then shipped off to be packaged and sent out to the nurseries or wherever they're sold. So when I bring a rose home, Jay, you were saying hopefully they're not planted. Uh, they're planted that afternoon. <laughs> what? Uh, any any special planting instructions when I once I get my rose bush? Well, if you it depends on how you're bringing it, taking it home. So, this day and age, most likely you're going to buy a rose bush in a pot, in a container that you could take home and and conceivably not plant it for months, as long as you remember to water it often enough, just like the nursery does when it's in their in their nursery. Probably the, the, the single biggest thing, and this isn't just roses, but it's all plants. When you, when you dig the hole, it needs to be the right size. So the hole needs to be plenty wide, but not too deep. And I think planting too deep um, is, is probably the biggest mistake people make, whether it's a rose bush, a fruit tree, or a palm tree. Um, especially on roses, there will be a very obvious... Well, if you buy it in a pot, it's going to have a soil line there, and hopefully they didn't pot it too deep. I've seen that done as well. But roses are, most of them, a, st- a great percentage are still grafted. So um, <clears throat> there is a graft, and it'll look just like a knob on the, on the rose bush where all the branches are coming out of. That needs to be above the soil line, and typically— in the old days when you bought a bare root rose, there was, there's a pretty obvious line what was above and what was below ground. And you just had to make sure that that was yeah, at the same depth that it had been grown at. So that's the main thing in my mind is make sure you don't plant them too deep. If they are potted, keep the root ball is intact. Don't break the roots up, especially if they started to grow new, new hair roots. We don't want to disturb that. Uh, and then keep them plenty moist for the first week or two. Now, if they haven't leafed out much, they're not going to need much water. So one or two waterings might keep it moist enough for a while. You really got to look at the look at the soil. You can over you can keep them too wet 
if you know if there's no leaves, they're not transpiring. They're not sucking a lot of moisture out of the ground. So be careful not to keep them too wet. That'd be my tip: is make sure it's not too deep. No, I completely I completely agree with too deep, and I kind of even plant mine a little high because they're going to settle over time, and after four, five, six years. They're going to kind of the your mulch is going to build up and the, they're going to kind of settle into the ground and so you want to kind of plant them a little high. That's a that's a great tip. The other thing that I do is if I have a rose that doesn't have any leaves on it, if it's it's a brand new one, I'll take a box of some type type that's open on the top and bottom and I'll put it around that rose and I'll fill that full of mulch. That mulch I'm going to use later to kind of uh, keep the plant cool, but I'm going to keep that mulch wet. And after about a week to 10 days, I'll take that box and just lift it right off the top and I'll start to wash that mulch slowly away. And what you'll see is that moisture that's held into those canes, you're going to have a whole bunch of new growth that's came out, which has helped that rose transition from the pot that it came in from wherever you bought it from into your garden. And we'll talk about uh, trimming when we get back uh, after the bottom of the hour news break. But just out of curiosity, how much water does it take? For fourteen thousand rose, oh. rose bushes, it Mesa. <laughs> what you know, kind that, of commitment that's a are we good question? <laughs> the, the the nice thing about Mesa Community College, it's all in flood irrigation. They do have irrigation that they uh, drip irrigation that they water with in between the flood irrigation, but they're on a flood irrigation system, which gives the roses a nice deep watering uh, a couple times a month. So they're able to wash all that salt that's built up in the soil and just wash that all down, which is a huge advantage that they have over just the home gardener that doesn't have that. But I don't know how many gallons, <laughs> but it's a large number for that many roses, for sure. And you're talking about, you know, the, there's hundreds of varieties. What's the most unique one is, well, to a rosarian that uh, – well, you do know, you have a favorite you, you gravitate towards? You know, everybody has their favorite. A lot of people like the hybrid tea, which is what you get from the florist or things like that. Um, I really like the Floribunda, which has more blooms, kind of sprays a lot more, uh, and miniatures. I, I When I first started this, I didn't wasn't big on miniatures. I had all these hybrid teas. As I progress, I've seen the miniatures have such great form. They're smaller, but they have great color. They hold their color longer. So I'm a big mini flora miniature rose guy. And when you say miniature, I'm, I'm assuming it's a smaller bud. It's a smaller It's a smaller bud. Now, the plant necessarily isn't smaller. I have a Dr. Dr. John Dickman that is six-plus feet tall, and it's a mini flora. So they, they greatly vary in height from maybe two feet up to six or eight feet. All right, well, hang tight. There's a lot we can do, but we can't stop the clock. It's Rosie on the House every Saturday morning. Welcome back to Rosie on the House. We're talking roses today. And we've got Jay Harper in studio with us, along with Ryan Regine, who's a rosarian. And you know, we've talked about how roses are grown and distributed. We've talked about how to plant, but let's talk about where to plant. You know, when you get that rose home, uh, well, one, you should probably decide before you go and buy one <laughs> where, where it's going to go. But what uh, what's the best placement for these? Are these heat sensitive? Do we need uh, kind of a microclimate? You know, growing growing roses in Arizona, everybody kind of thinks, well, I need to give my rose shade and, and protect it from the sun. And at my house, 
I have roses on all four sides of my house, all over my backyard and the front yard. And what I found is the roses that are getting the most sun are doing the best. They're they're have the best blooms. They have the best growth. I have a rose bed that I just put in three years ago in my front yard. It's about three feet, two feet away from the sidewalk. So full sun all day long out on the south side. Those are my best roses. Without a question, those in this last year have been my best roses as well as the ones on a south-facing wall in my backyard. I have some miniatures on there that they just love it right there. Now, the ones that are kind of on the west side of my house that get more shade, they're doing good, but they're just not as strong and don't have as many blooms and as, as large and healthy plant as the other ones in my yard. I don't know. What do you think, Jay? You know, I think people freak out in July or August, early September, when they go out and look at their rose bushes and they don't look that great. And they've got some sunburn or maybe a lot of sunburn on them. Very few things outside and, in Arizona and, in July uh, and August, September. You know, there's about great. four <laughs> things that don't. Lantana, dwarf oleanders, red bird of paradise, and bougainvilleas. <laughs> Everything else has probably got a leaf or two on it that doesn't look too good. You know, we are so conditioned to have, and we're so blessed in, in Phoenix, to have really a year-round gardening climate. But it also is our undoing sometimes because we expect things to look great 365 days out of the year. So sometimes we don't pick something to put in our landscape because it might only look good for a season or part of the year or a certain time. And it's kind of a shame that that our, a lot of our gardens and landscape have become almost sterile to the fact that there can't be a leaf on the granite, there can't be a thing out of place. All of our We've taken all of our desert shrubs and we shear them into balls and squares and, you know, we just don't – things aren't natural. Rose bushes naturally are going to get pretty beat up by the end of the summer. But all they need is a little bit of a cleanup pruning in the, in the fall, a little fertilizer, and boom, they're, they're right back at it. You know, a lot of times, you know – Thanksgiving time can you can have the best roses you're going to have for the year, so yeah they they need more air on the side of sun. If they're too shady, they're going to be stretchy and floppy, and they're not going to bloom as good. And the blooms are going to be on long floppy stems, and you you might end up with more disease problems. There's there's a number of things that that can go wrong. So put them in the sun and mulch the heck out of them. You know, put a lot of bark mulch and organic mulch around them. That'll help ease their uh, summertime a little bit, but you're just going to have to be okay that they don't look that great. The blooms are going to get little. Um, so it's just, just the way it is. Now Clean the, them up and they'll, they'll be fine. That's a result of just our heat, but isn't it this time of year when we're pruning them, they should look pretty beat up when you're done pruning right now? <laughs> well, that's the other thing is that, so they are not going to look great for a while now after you've You've pruned them, if, especially if you prune them correctly yeah. and you prune them enough. I'll let Ryan talk about specifics of pruning, but we we do that. And, and, and fortunately or unfortunately, we just don't get cold enough here to make roses go completely dormant or deciduous, so to speak. You know, they'll start getting some yellow leaves, but you, you just have to almost have your neighbor come over and prune your rose bushes for you because you're not going to want to do it. I did mine yesterday, and they're, they were beautiful. They're in full bloom. They look fantastic, but and whack <laughs> you just you just kind of close your eyes and go, you know. So, but yeah, so you're going to have a period of a month or six weeks 
after you prune them, they might not look that great. But you want to talk about specifics of pruning? I'll I'll hand it over. All right, Rosarian. So first off, you should have your thorn armor puncture-proof yeah, gloves on. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. Get those gloves that go all the way up to your elbow and, and uh, get you a nice, sharp pair of bypass pruners. Um, I walk out there and I, I look at the roses and just kind of look at the overall size. It's four feet tall. I'm going to take about a half to a third of it off. So I kind of start on one side. Uh, one of the important things before I go too far is I look for a butt eye. Uh, the butt eye is if you look at the back of your hand at your knuckle, you can kind of see where there's kind of raised right there. You're going to see the same thing on the rose. You're going to see a smooth cane, and you're going to kind of see a butt eye. It's where a new branch is going to come out, and that's where you want to look. This is your chance to decide how you want your rose to grow. 90% of the time, you're going to want to find that butt eye that's facing out, which means then the rose is going to grow out away. If you're cutting it towards butt eyes that are cut that are inside the plant, then the plant's going to want to grow together. So look at that cane, kind of figure out kind of where you want to cut. Usually you want something that's bigger than a pencil. You want to take anything that's smaller than a pencil out on a hybrid tea on, on bigger roses like that and find that butt eye that's facing out. You're going to cut about a quarter inch at a 45-degree angle above that butt eye. And what that's going to mean is if you get in that quarter inch, you're not going to have any dead wood above there. If you're an inch or two inches, the wood's going to die back to the butt eye where that new cane's going to come out. So that new cane's going to come right out from that new one, from where you cut. And in two weeks, 10 days, you're going to see new growth coming out. That butt eye is going to swell. It's going to kind of turn red. And all of a sudden you're going to see some new growth and leaves coming out of that area. And then just work your way around the rows. You know, if you have a sidewalk, if your rose is up against the sidewalk, this is the time where you can take and find that butt eye that's to the inside. So you're growing the plant kind of away from the sidewalk. So you're not catching your jacket or something every time you're walking past that, that rose. Work your way around and kind of take that half to to a half to a third of that plant off. And then when you've gotten that kind of established, you start taking off anything that's smaller than a pencil, any small canes, any crossing canes. If there's canes that are crossing each other, you'll see that where they cross, there's kind of some damage there. Let's clean that kind of out and, and prune away from that. And the final thing is to take the leaves off. Every leaf needs to come off. Um, we have all kinds of diseases and insects and that are in those leaves and taking every leaf off is just going to get rid of that. It's going to help you. Uh, in the last few years, we have had chili thrips show up in Arizona. We want to get rid of all those leaves and get those in the trash um, away. It's not really, if, especially if you've had chili thrips, you want to get rid of those. You don't want to put them in the compost so that you have those chili thrips come back or those other bugs and disease come back. So usually you want to get rid of the roses if you're going to mulch back on your roses. Now, if you're going to use that mulch for your garden or something else, that's fine. But coming back on your roses probably isn't the best way to use that mulch. But, yeah, get every leaf off, and when you're done, you should have eight, ten sticks just sitting there, and you have the next four weeks off, and you don't have to do anything with your roses. You can just enjoy them as they shoot out that new red growth and and start to get growing again. And you say remove every leaf. Are you plucking those by hand or are you clipping those with your it's it's best to clip them sometimes i'll i'll get lazy and i'll just start stripping them off but that kind of leaves a wound so i do try to use uh just i don't use my regular pruners i kind of almost like a scissors and i can go much quicker and just snip 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 a lot of those off but at this point in the year there isn't a lot 
on that area that's left after you've pruned some new canes that maybe came out that, uh, you know, some basil breaks, new canes that came out, they might have some leaves on them. But usually on where I prune down to is all that new growth, uh, growth above is the leaves and those are gone already. So anything that's left after I do the pruning, yes, I do clip, 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 clip. Now, where do rose, where does the the actual flower on a bloom on a rose, you know, like in citrus, it's the old wood. It takes three or four years before it starts producing. And then you've got apples where it's only the new growth that you're yeah. getting the, the fruit. Where on a, is there a, it's how does the, it work the, on the it's rose? It's the new wood. So after we've done our pruning and taken it down to just those sticks, all of a sudden in four weeks, five, six weeks, you're going to see just all kinds of shoots and new growth coming out. And it's almost like, on Monday, you go out and, oh, they look really nice. And you go back out on Wednesday and you're going to be shocked at how much growth is coming out after you've done that pruning. It just They just grow so fast. And then you're going to start to see buds forming on the ends of that new growth. Um, if you have floribundas or, or grandifloribundas that has, have lots of blooms, you're going to see six, eight, ten blo- uh, buds on the end of those stems. Or if you have a hybrid tea, it's going to be typically just one on the end of there. And they're just going to shoot out and and... By Easter, your garden's going to be full color. And you were saying that a lot of people miss the best rose viewing. Right. Uh, you know, your Easter church service and yeah. you've got your family meal and, you know, whatever you've got planned. But that's like the best weekend to go view the roses. I, I Yeah, I love to have people come over my my garden and, and walk through my garden and see the garden. And, and uh, the Rose Society always has a, a rose tour every year and... And so you get an opportunity to look at six or five different gardens. You get a map and you go to different gardens and see. The bad part is it never falls on Easter weekend <laughs> when my garden looks its absolute best. I, I, I swear it's been that way for probably the last 10 or 12 years. I, every time I go out and I'm like, oh, I just if it could have waited one week or two weeks. But, you know, I, I, people are out on their Easter walks and I say, hey, come back and check out the roses if, if you want to do that. So. Yeah, that's that's the best time for for my garden. Now, Jay, you had mentioned earlier about them going dormant, uh, and that you know the lower elevation of the state, they may not always get full dormant. With all the varieties, I mean, could you have roses in Flagstaff at freezing cold? Uh, you know, is there enough growings that you'll get a, a bloom at the end of summer? They do. They do have some problems with getting too cold in in higher elevations where they. They literally, they'll prune their roses back, then they'll cover them. Ryan talked about covering your rose bush with mulch when you new plant it. They do that in the late fall or early winter in real cold climates to keep them the canes from freezing. So they can't have roses. There are rose varieties that are more cold tolerant than others, and they do sometimes have to do some protection uh, on their roses, particularly like in Flagstaff, 7,000 foot of elevation and higher, so... Um, yeah, it, it, they have no problem with things going dormant there. <laughs> no, and it, it would be a problem if they didn't go dormant. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> All right, we're talking roses. We've got Jay Harper, Master Gardener, in studio with us, along with uh, Ryan Regine, a Rosarian. And how how did you become a uh, a, a rose hobbyist? I mean, well, well I'll, I'll kind of make my story short um, because it's a long story. When we bought our first house my, outside my wife's kitchen window, I wanted to put something out there with some color. And so I put some roses out there, went and bought some roses and, and thought I knew what I was doing. Well, it turned out I had no idea what I was doing. I killed every one of them. So I joined the Rose Society. I needed ideas. I looked on the Internet and 
I did exactly what I was just talking about. I went on a garden tour. Um, Bob and Donna Martin had a garden out in the West or East Valley in Gilbert there. And I went to their backyard. I walked in their backyard, saw 400 roses in their backyard. Um, I fell in love. I, it's something I wanted. Um, Bob Martin was the president of the American Rose Society. Amazing guy. And that's where I got started. Well, okay. Very good. How long ago was that? Boy, that's been 20 years ago now. I'd say it's been 20 years. So this, this passion has really, yeah. really got you. <laughs> it, it, it bit me, you know, and, and I exhibit and I give tours and, and everything. I, I love to talk roses. All right, final segment here, Talking Roses. You know, it's funny, Jay, before the hour started, I was uh, kind of like, I don't you were wondering think... how you're going to fill an hour. With this <laughs> like, I, yeah. I can't talk about roses for an hour, but uh, who knew there was, there was so much to, to know to talk about? And, you know, just real quickly going back to the pruning thing, that's, that and how to water are two of the most difficult things to try and tell somebody how to do without visually showing them how to do. If you're interested in roses and want to learn more about pruning, get involved. Go to a rose pruning demonstration. Most of the nurseries have them. I, I bet they'd be glad to have you come down to the Mesa Community yes, Gardens and and volunteer and help them do stuff, and they'd be glad to show you how to prune them. It's very hands-on. It's hard to really explain to somebody. I knew what he was talking about, and it's hard to visualize right. sometimes how to prune a rose bush by listening to it over the air. So go see how it's done, uh, and, and it'll make a lot more sense to you. Now, what's the most unique rose color? I mean, red, white, and I know I'm, there's like diff, they're supposed to have different meanings based on color. Um, and with all the hybrids, I mean, what's the most unusual rose color? Well, you know, some of the the really intricately striped ones I think are pretty pretty amazing. How I don't know how they've hybridized those, you know, with whatever. But uh, and where's the stripe? Is it well in in the you know it's part of the the petals are just literally striped you know so there's stripes in the petals so when they open up you see the stripes some of them actually are striped vertically some of them are horizontally different colors you know it's just it's just i don't know that there's a you know color is a very subjective thing um and you know i i think some of the the intricately striped things are are just pretty amazing that somebody was able to tweak nature so to speak and come up come up with that and speaking of tweaking nature you can tweak a rose bush to be a lot of different things a ground cover shrub tree so there are different we talked about classifications way back but so there are all of the, there are just about anything you want to do with a plant you can do with a rose bush hanging baskets trees in containers in the ground ground covers landscape shrubs if you've driven through some of the older parts of scottsdale and phoenix the arcadia area you'll see all these white iceberg roses that are now just a have become a landscape shrub they're part of the feature of the landscape they bloom 10 11 months out of the year they're amazing um so if you've got container maybe you've got a patio home or a or a condominium um, you can have uh, you know roses in pots on your patio or deck uh, so they're very versatile. If, Ryan might want to add to that with his minis and stuff like that. Yeah, most of mine are actually grown in the ground. Um, usually when I get a new rose, I'll put it in a pot, a cloth pot. It kind of helps them establish it. 
and I'm able to move them around my yard. I mean, I think that's a great part of if you're in a patio home or, or an apartment, you're able to move it to different places, maybe your front area or your back area. Um, I take in, in the spring and fall, I have those pots where, where they get full sun all year long. Uh, in the summer, I'll kind of find a shaded area that I can place them. So it just that and if you're just establishing your garden, that's another thing. I just did a house for somebody the other day and we're going to get a bunch of roses, put them in pots and they're going to decide how they like the colors the first year. And then the next year we're going to put them in the ground so they can kind of get their idea on what they like as far as size and color. Um, to your question or to your point on color, I have to touch on two roses, ketchup and mustard. <laughs> it's one of my favorites. It's red. The petals are red on the outside and yellow on the backside. So you look at it and it kind of opens its ketchup and mustard. The other one that I have uh, that I really like, and, and to Jay's point, it came to mind right away, is 4th of July. 4th of July is a climber that's been around for years and years, and it's a red and white striped. Um, every bloom, every single bloom is different. It's more of a single. So that means it has about six to eight petals. So it's just as it opens, it's just there's not a whole bunch of petals to open like in a hybrid tea. And uh, each each bloom is different. You'll bring in a bouquet for your wife or a stem that's got 12, 12 blooms on it or something. And each one is different. Red and white stripes or white with red stripes. It's, it's a beautiful, beautiful rose. So it's 4th of July because of its multiple colors like a firecracker. Exactly. It, it looks like not, a, not, not that it blooms late in no, July or no. something. And, and, you know, it's a climber. It's going to uh, bloom all year long. It gets very big. Uh, mine's probably... 8, 10, 12 feet tall at, at the end of the season and by about six or eight feet wide. Now, at the beginning of the segment, Jay was talking about, you know, visiting the Rose Society and you said something about every Saturday. Yeah. So, and, and describing pruning over the radio is very difficult, but you can go down to Macy's Valley uh, or Mesa Community College, visit them on a Saturday morning, show up there at nine o'clock with nothing. They're going to give you a pair of gloves. They'll have pruners there. And they're going to have all the roses you can go prune. This is a great opportunity to go make every mistake in the book. There's going to be <laughs> consulting rosarians there. You can hack away at those roses and somebody's going to be able to tell you, now do it this way and do it this way. Not, not, not corrective, but just to show you so that you can practice, practice, practice. Now then when you go home, you have mastered the technique. You understand what needs to be done and you're not going to mess up your own roses. So it gives you a great confidence of pruning and the experience uh, just to be down at the garden and, and learn from some experts. And then how do I find out more details on the auction? When is it? Wow. What's the website? We're, the auction's up right now. If you go to uh, Mesa, uh, Mesa East Valley Rose Society, just Google it, and you, you're going to come up with the website for the Rose Society. Right there on the main page is the auction website. Um, right now we have about 40 roses. We're going to be up to well over 100 as I get the list up from the local growers, and we're hoping to hit about 200 roses. And they'll be available to pick up February 19th, and the auction will end February 11th. Ryan, Gene Rosarian, thank you for spending your Saturday morning with us, along with Jay Harper. Gentlemen, you all have a great Saturday morning. Thank you. Make it a rosy Saturday morning.